Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Be looking there in just a moment. Add my welcome. It's good to see everyone this morning. We have several that are away from us, many that are in need of our prayers, and let's be diligent about that and pray for them. They have asked for our prayers, so let's, let's be good brothers and sisters to those who have asked and, and give them those prayers. And remember our brothers and sisters, the struggles of life and traveling and all those things that we, we go through as, as humans. Uh, let's, let's remember each other and pray for one another. It's good to see uh, some return to us. Good to have Millie back with us. We've been praying for her. Glad that she is able to be here. Good to have Mary with us this morning as well. And we pray for these often. It's good to see them here. I want to talk this morning, and I, I want to both encourage you in a strange way, and I want to challenge you at the same time. Um, start off by talking about this. It, it's common in the religious world that um, people think that, that pretty much everybody's going to go to heaven. That if you pr- uh, believe in God believe in Jesus Christ, that you're going to go to heaven. There was a poll taken a number of years ago and um, asked if someone could be saved, uh, even if they were not uh, a member of their own denomination. Um, on average, about 79% said yes. So in other words, even though you might have a different faith than me, as far as denomination goes, your, your salvation is still sure. You're still going to go to heaven. About 79% people asked said that was right. So most people in the religious world think that different faiths, Protestant, Catholic, non-Christian, they think we'll all go to heaven. But contrary to that, the Bible teaches something different. If you're there in Luke 13, let's look at a very pointed question, a very pointed answer that our Lord is is asked and, and the answer given. Luke chapter 13 Look in verse 23. It says, And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who, will, who are being saved? See, this strikes exactly what we're talking about here. What, what's the number? Who's going to be saved? How many people are going to be saved? What might you expect Jesus to say? Well, if we rely on that poll, Jesus said, yeah, there's going to be lots of people. Many people. The great, the great majority of people are going to be saved. But look what he says in verse 24. It says, Strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. There's many, all right. Jesus talks about the many. But he says that there are many who will not make it. Many who will not enter by that narrow gate. There's a parallel passage in Matthew 7 that we're probably more familiar with, where Jesus says there in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There's that broad and wide way, and that leads to destruction. And Jesus says there are many who enter through it. There's the many again. There's the many. They enter through that wide gate. Verse 14, it says, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So the Bible teaches that really there's only a few people who will be saved. 
Through Jesus' teaching, we know that. We know that there's only a few that will be saved. And it really should not surprise us. You know, we, Bible students and those who have studied and, and, and know the scriptures well know that there's been many times that only a few people have been saved. In the days of Noah, there were only eight souls that were saved. That's a few. Of all the earth, only eight souls were saved. That's few. In the days of um, Lot, when he's there living in Sodom and Gomorrah, there were only four souls that came out of Sodom. And really only three of them made it. Because remember Sodom's wife, she turned back to look at the destruction that was going on and she turned to a pillar of salt. So only Lot and his two daughters escaped that calamity. Only two men out of the over 600,000 uh, who were over 20 uh, would enter into the promised land. Remember, the, the 12 spies were sent there in Numbers chapter 13, sent into the land, and uh, of the 12 that came back, only two of them gave a good report, Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them said, there's giants over there, we're never going to be able to enter the land. And because of that, God says, this generation is going to die out. All these men of this generation are going to die out. Women and children. Or the women and children would, would live through, but the next generation would be coming along. But of this generation, they're all going to die out and they're not going to see the promised land. Except for Joshua and Caleb. That's two. So it really shouldn't surprise us that there, this few keeps coming up. Jesus tells us, that he is the only way to salvation. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that starts to narrow it down, doesn't it? How do we get to the Father? Well, we have to go through Jesus Christ. That means we have to believe in the things that he says and the, the, the teachings that he has left behind. The law of Christ. That narrows it down quite a bit, doesn't it? So if we want to be saved, we've got to believe in Jesus Christ in order to get to the Father through Him. Some in the religious world think it, that simply believing is enough. Yeah, okay, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. That, that's enough, right? Or that, or that being a good person is enough. But again, Scripture tells us differently. You're probably already thinking about Cornelius, the good man Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He was uh, a devout man. He gave alms to the poor. He prayed. Yet there was something still missing in his life. The Lord appeared to him and said, you need to send for this man named Peter. Peter's going to come and tell you what you need to do in order to be saved. And so Peter comes to his house and Cornelius assembles his household there and says, we're here to, to listen to what you have to say. And Peter tells them about Jesus Christ. He tells them about salvation in his name. And at the end of that, he tells them in order to be saved, they need to be baptized. Yes, Cornelius was a good man, but he was still lacking something. Some, something that prevented him from being saved. Something that prevented him from being in the few. 
And that was his obedience to Jesus Christ through baptism. You know, there were many devout men and women gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This was a, one of the big feast days. They would come to Jerusalem and to celebrate the feast. There were many devout men and women there. And on that day, Peter stood up and he told them about the sins that they had committed by putting to death the Son of God. And after hearing um, about this, they asked, what do we do? They were convicted. They were cut to the heart. And they asked, what can we do? Remember what Peter says there. He tells them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, there was a lot of people there. Some estimates over a million people in Jerusalem. But of that, 3,000 souls were saved that day. That's a few. It's a big number. In the grand scheme of things, it's still just a few. The Ethiopian eunuch, in Acts chapter 8, as he's making his way back to Ethiopia after being in, in, in Jerusalem, Philip catches up with him, and he's um, reading there from the book of Isaiah, and and Philip asked him, do you know what you're reading? And remember what the eunuch said, how, do, how can I, unless someone shows me, tells me, is this the Christ? And from that point, it says that, that Philip preached, Peter, uh, preached Jesus to him. And he asked him, he says, now do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He, says, he said he did. He believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And so Philip stopped the chariot, and they went down to the water and baptized him. So he knew that he, there was something he needed to do. Remember, because the question came up as they were traveling along, the eunuch asked, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And that's when Peter asked him. He says, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you may. He entered into the few. Saul, who later became known as Paul, was doing what he thought was right, persecuting Christians. But he had to be shown that he needed to obey the gospel of Christ. He had to do something to put on Christ so that he could enter into the few. So we have all these examples in the book of Acts about these, some are devout men, who still needed to be baptized. Some were part of the Jewish faith that their leadership had put to death the Son of God. They still needed to be baptized. Same process by which they were to be saved. But what do all these accounts have in common? As we talked about, the devout men and women, they needed to hear the gospel of Christ and be baptized in order to be saved. People who had... <laughs> Needed to repent most of all. They needed to be baptized in order to be saved. So there's the common denominator. They needed to be baptized in order to be saved. Just because we have these that are doing good, devout, honest, good people, they were still lacking something. Same is true today, isn't it? In our life, in our world's, we know plenty of good people. 
We know people that are devout. We know people that give to charity. We know people that uh, are good to their neighbors, good to their friends, good to their family. You know, I've heard it said about uh, if you attend a funeral at some point probably in your life you'll hear something about, well, if this, if this person is not in heaven, then none of us will be. In other words, given the, the, the nature and the speaking of the character of that man or woman, that they might make it to heaven. And if they don't, we don't stand a chance. And giving them the, the devout character, speaking of that devout character that they might possess. But that might sound good at a funeral, and it may be true. Not necessarily the other part about it, about we're not going to have to stand a chance to get into heaven. We all stand a chance. But there's only one way that we can do that. It's only the way that we can enter into the rest that is promised for us. And that is to be saved through baptism. Put on Christ. Be obedient to him. Enter into that water. Come up that new creature. To walk in newness of life. Those who don't face punishment. And this is the sad part of, of this lesson. We talked about the, the idea of people being saved, people being able to wash away their sins and have a chance in, in heaven when this life is over. But those who don't, those who refuse to obey the word of God, there's a punishment that's for them. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 and 8 says, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's sad, isn't it? It's sad that there are those who will not obey, who will not be obedient to the law of Christ. But the Bible speaks of the punishment that awaits them. Obedience to Jesus is the only hope of heaven that we have. Look over in Matthew chapter 7. We mentioned there verses 13 and 14 about the narrow gate. This, of course, is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that begins back in chapter 5. There's so much wonderful teaching that our Lord has here in, in these chapters. In Matthew 7, beginning verse 21, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, our Lord, our Lord was very clear in his teaching, wasn't he? There weren't any gray areas that our Lord left. He was very clear, very matter of fact, very distinct in what he had to say. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. 
And he says that they will come and say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And all by, in your name, do these other things? Jesus says this, he that practices, or he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's the one that's going to go to heaven. The rest of these, what does he say about them? Depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. You see, Jesus equates things done without the authority of him, without the authority of God. He equates those to lawlessness. We may say in our own hearts, and we may convince ourselves in our own hearts that these are good things that we're doing. But if they're not in accordance with Scripture, they're not in accordance with God's will, Jesus describes them as lawless. And as I mentioned, Jesus doesn't mince words. There's no gray area. It's this way or it's that way. Relying on our own beliefs or faith alone is not going to get us there. In Hebrews 12 and verse 2, it says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. So if we want to perfect our faith by the one who wrote our faith, who designed our faith, we have to be obedient to him. He's the one. He's the author. He's the creator of it. And he's the one who has perfected it. And the idea, through his sacrifice, he has perfected salvation. So, it's really simple. If we obey Christ, we can be saved. It's that simple. The world has come along and muddied up the waters, so to speak. That's why we have so many denominations in the world growing every year. Because men begin to rely on their own faith, their own interpretation, their own say-so, their own doctrine that supplants the Word of God. All we have to do is trust in Jesus Christ and what He has to say. No other creed or doctrine will save us. In Matthew 15 and verse 9, Jesus addresses this. He says, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. See, that's vain worship. If we take our own say-sos, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do these many things in your name? That's supplanting the word of God. That's vain worship. Jesus says, in vain do they worship me. Teaching as, as doctrine these things that they've come up with in their own hearts. The teachings of our Lord are very clear, very concise, and very easy to understand. So what does this all mean to us sitting here today? How many is there here today? Bill, how many is, is there here? 18 people here today. Now, we've got reasons for that. We've got people out of town. We've got people sick. It's summertime, which is off-season for us here in the area of the country where we live. Our snowbirds have migrated back north. But still, there are just a few people here. Think about the context. Cortez, Bradenton, Central Florida, Florida. Ever widening. 
there's brethren that are meeting all throughout this area and throughout the southeast, throughout the country, throughout the world. But in the grand scheme of things, there's just a few. Now here's where we get to the challenging and the other part of it as well. Somehow, I've never known quite how to phrase this. I'll, I'll phrase it this way and we'll talk a little bit more about it. Somehow we can kind of, in, in a way, take comfort in being in the few. Because what did Jesus say about there's few and many? Few who find the straight and narrow path, many who find the gate to destruction. So in a way, don't you want to be part of the few? Aren't you glad you're part of the few and not part of the many? Well, the reason I hesitate in saying that is that I don't want us to rest on that. We can't come in the kingdom and shut the door behind us. How many is few? Well, it's been eight. It's been three. It's been two. But the numbers change. How do we know what few is? So when we come into the kingdom, we can't shut the door behind us. We've got to leave this, the, the door behind us open, and we've got to invite others to come in. Come on in. <laughs> Saying that somewhat flippantly, but I think you know what I mean. We don't know what few is. Only God knows what few is. So while we can take comfort in knowing that we are following after God's after God's law, and that might put us in the few, and there's only a few here today, we still got to hope that there's more coming in the door behind us. And it ought to be our goal and our challenge to make sure that we are indeed bringing more into the kingdom. Let God decide who the, what the few is. Because we've been challenged to bring as many as we can with us. It doesn't negate, though, that there's those that are perishing around us. That ought to make us sad and ought to make us, uh, ought, to, ought to encourage us to seek out those who are looking for something more in their life. To seek out those who are searching after truth and letting them know they can find it in God's word. The Bible tells us that this is the way that it is. But there are few that's going to find that narrow gate. But few is not a definite number. That's the point. We should not be satisfied with eight or three or 22 or how many? 18. Forgot already. We shouldn't be satisfied with that. We should want everybody in our little world's to know what we know, and to come into the kingdom, and to know what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom, to know what it means to be a child of God, and to enjoy the freedoms that we have. We talked about that in our Bible class this morning. We enjoy freedoms being in, in the kingdom of God. Don't we want to share that with others? Don't we want to have others to know about the things that we know, and to have the faith that we have, and to have the um, that forward-looking vision of something after this life. 
We need to tell others the gospel message and encourage them to come in through that narrow gate. It's easy to go through the wide gate. And that's why Jesus uses that analogy. It's easy to go through that gate. Many many will find that gate. It's harder to go through the narrow gate. But we ought to encourage all those in our own little spheres to come in through that narrow gate. And don't be discouraged by the few number. But don't rest on it either. Let God decide how many few is. And let us be diligent in bringing those behind us into the kingdom. I hope this has been encouraging to you this morning. We can get discouraged when we look around and see few. Don't be. In that, just keep on doing what we need to do. Keep on following after God. Keep on doing the things that we are to do as his children. But don't rest on it either. Don't just assume that, well, this is just going to be it. Let's encourage other people. Let's grow the, the, the church here in this, in this area. It's few today. Maybe 10 years from now when we have 40 people in here, it's, well, that's, that's a few Last week we had 60. The week before that we had 72. See, the few is, is relative, isn't it? Let's keep doing what we need to do. Let's keep growing the borders of the kingdom for God. Let's keep encouraging and, and striving to do the best that we can. Bringing others into the kingdom as we have opportunity. And we do that by telling them about the Lord Jesus. And what he has done for each and every one of us. Sacrifice that he has paid. That sacrificial lamb that he was. Who was a sacrifice for sin. Hung on a cross. So that we might have the hope of salvation and the hope of heaven. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one. To know what it means to be a child of God. To put on Christ in baptism. If as a child of God you have lost your way, I would encourage you to make things right as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.